0: Hey everybody, it's good to see you again. Um, I'm sorry for some of you, I've heard that there was a lack of sleep on many people's parts today, so I will try to speak up and keep the energy level high. I know those chairs are super comfortable, and if you have a warm cup of coffee, you're just probably doomed at this point. But it's also a nice place to sleep. I mean, sleeping in the presence of Jesus is totally awesome. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've taken times away for a day to pray, and sometimes the first hour is literally sleeping. Uh, and I felt bad about it at first because I was raised Baptist, and so you're supposed to feel guilty about pretty much anything that's not perfection. But I just felt the, I felt the Spirit kind of say, you know, that's okay. Uh, you're comfortable, and that's good. I want you to be that way. And it was always good because I would wake up refreshed. And so, yeah, I'm cool with napping in the presence of God. That's all I'm saying. So if that's what you need to do this morning, go for it. You can just listen later because we're recording this, right? So we're good to go. So January is all about moving the story forward, moving the story. The story, of course, is the story of God and people. And the reason we're focusing on this in January is to remind you as you start a new year that we live in a pretty incredible story that informs the rest of life. Uh, As I was growing up as a kid in the church, um, I didn't have a nice, clear understanding of any big picture. My understanding of God was just... You know, lines from songs and lessons, stories from lessons and and sermons that were here and there. And so for me, I found a tremendous value in understanding and reminding myself constantly there's a big story that really makes sense. And when you know that story, it helps make sense of your story. And so if you stop and you remember that or when you're talking to friends or your children or a relative or a roommate, it often helps for us to remember the bigger story that we're in. Because it explains everything else. So I want to go over that story with you. And we are on part two, and my computer's acting up, but I don't care. There we go. Yes. So here's the outline. Uh, We went over the first two points last week. So the story of God and people is in four movements. All of human history fits into one of these movements. And we currently live in a place between movements two and three. So just to review, last week we talked about the fact that uh, the first movement was all about creation. God was putting into place a home for whom he knew he would create last, and that was men and women. So he created a home that was beautiful, full of natural resources, including animals and plants and minerals, and just all the raw materials that we need to live the life that we live today. Uh, He also created life itself and gave us rhythms so gave us a day and a night by causing us to rotate as the earth does. So that after, you know, whatever damage we've done in 16 hours, God kind of puts us all to bed and says, hey, look, you're going to start over tomorrow. I'm going to give you another chance to start over tomorrow. Some of us have had thousands of chances to start over. It's kind of like the reset button on the video game, right? I love that button. I mean, you can literally die and hit the button and you're back. And, yeah, sleeping isn't quite like that, but it's similar. So you get to come back. Uh, he's created family and partnership with humans belonging to one another. And I don't just mean nuclear family there, but just the familyhood of humanity, that we're all a part of that. And then, of course, partnership with God, who knows the best way forward as human beings. <clears throat> then, Genesis 2, we're introduced to the reality that all of this beauty and this wonder and this life has been infected with a kind of a cancer, with corruption. And, and we kind of, we brought that on ourselves. Adam and Eve did it as representatives, but you know yourself well enough that we all bring it on ourselves early enough in life, and we choose to go against God and against people. So this home has toil in it now. Life is affected by death as well. Family is affected by strife and relationships, and many times humans choose to go it alone rather than partner with God. The partnership is always available, but it's a choice. And we start out without the partnership, and many people try to get through life without partnership with God. So, the good news comes today. You know the news, but I want to remind you. So let's take a look at what is redemption. How is God reclaiming the story? And there's three things I want to share with you, but the most important one is this one, and that is that Jesus redeems the relationship between God and people. We have the opportunity to be reconnected with the author of life, the designer of life, the creator of life. And uh, let's take a look at this passage. Now, this passage, I would never use this to introduce you to this idea because this passage talks about the whole idea beginning to end. But I want to choose it because it's really where we are. We already know the story. So I want to connect a bunch of dots for you as we look at this passage. Second Corinthians Paul writes, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Thank you, Paul, for being crystal clear. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, that's confusing, so let's unpack it, but before we do that, I want to to remind you of the reality that there are definitely degrees to which the gospel, the big story, is mysterious. So we don't get to understand it completely. What we get is part of it, enough to function in it, but there's mystery involved. And so I don't know why God chose to say that the way that sin is paid for and taken away is through death. But that was his choice. I don't know why he decided, hey, but we're going to make it possible so that there can be substitute death, for the sake of of death required. So in the Old Testament, the death of animals was a death that at least temporarily covered the sins of people. That's the mystery part. And God will explain that to us when we are perfected. But he hasn't chosen to do that in this life. So we just work with it and we go with it and believe that somehow it, it works because it does. So somehow Jesus, a single human being, was able to give his own life to pay the price for corruption. One life somehow in God's economy covers every life that chooses to follow Jesus. I don't know how that works, but it's pretty dang amazing because there's no limitation on the number of human beings that can come to God and can be reconnected to the Father. Jesus' single sacrifice gets credited over and over and over again, and that's just awesome, right? No limits on love, no limits on reconciliation. So we accept that and we believe that. So we come to the middle here. It says the old has passed away. The old was the corruption and the fear that things would never be good again, that things would forever be broken. That has passed away and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but here's part of the fun part that we'll talk about later this morning is that we get to be a part of the story. God isn't just taking care of it on his own, but he's choosing to partner with us. So we are a part of this ministry of reconciliation. And if I could say in one idea what the purpose of life is, what is the meaning of life, it is this idea right here, that God desires to reconnect himself to human beings and human beings to one another. It's really what we all want. The great line for every woman who's in a beauty pageant is what? She wants world peace, right? (laughs) Miss Congeniality, world peace. (laughs) But it's actually true. Every soul longs for it. Every beauty contestant says that she wants it. God actually does want it, and he's creating it. And this is what life is all about. No matter what else you do with your life, the meaning of life and the worthwildness of life is around us reconnecting as human beings made like God and loving and interacting and enjoying life together. I mean, ideally, every one of us. God did not intend there to be any brokenness anywhere, for any sets of peoples to be at odds with each other, to be out of relationship. His vision, his goal, was everyone in harmony with him and in harmony with one another. That was God's goal, and he's reclaiming that goal through Jesus Christ. That's what redemption is all about. Sometimes we make redemption about this one narrow Piece of the story, which is being forgiven for sins, which is huge. Without that, this story doesn't happen. But that's just the way that we get into the family of God. Life is so much more. Redemption is so much more than simply being free from sin, which is amazing. But it's about what happens after that. The freedom that you and I have to now have a level of relationship that we couldn't before. The ability that we have to be able to receive forgiveness and for you to have peace not carry any shame or guilt, if you'll receive that from God, and then for you to be able to turn around and be that way to other people, to be able to constantly forgive and never run out of strength or hope or energy to forgive, but every day, reset button, I love you today again as if you've never sinned. Freedom, redemption. All of this is from God, who through Christ gave us this ministry. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's something that I want to add to that in my understanding of how God handles sin. There are two places in which sin is paid for. One of those ways is natural consequences. So the things that we do that are counter to love, carry with them a natural outcome. So if I choose to strike someone because I'm mad at them and I'm failing to love them, there's a natural consequence of them potentially striking me back. And we would all say, well, that's just fair. That You deserve that. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And in fact, that's the law that the Old Testament people, the people of Israel were given, was this kind of a natural consequence. The other set of consequences or the, the result of sin is is judgment and is uh, a declaration of our eternity based on that judgment. But God has reserved that judgment, and he hasn't yet acted on it. So it says that he is not counting trespasses against them. Before God, none of us is being held accountable yet for sin. We are free. We sin, and somehow we're allowed to keep doing it. God is not stopping us. Natural consequences play in. But we continue. But the day will come when Jesus returns, and God will bring everyone to himself. And that's when we get to say the name Jesus. And he says, okay, that's the end of your story when it comes to sin. I have nothing to say. I have no punishment for you. I have no condemnation for you because Jesus has covered that. So that's our future, but it's also our present. So let's let's move on to the other two pieces of redemption just briefly. Uh, The one piece is that God is redeeming relationships between himself and us and between us and each other. There's also the redemption of the quality of life. And I choose that phrase because we're familiar with it. But God actually is redeeming the experience of life for those who believe. What do you think I mean by that? Who could help us out a little bit? <laughs> hmm. Are you driving Alexis? I'm not driving Alexis. So not for all of us. So sp- Finding joy. Okay. Yeah, what does that look like practically, Tony, and in what way? right? Yeah, Jesus really reframes life. And so he reframes your marriage and says, in this marriage, I have given you the power to forgive every day. So you can count each other as husband and wife as just reoccurringly innocent. You can actually push a reset button for the sake of your relationship with your spouse. And we can forgive like never before and continue to be patient with one another in a way that we couldn't before. It says that the the fruit of the Spirit of God is patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And I hope that you could say that since you came to Jesus, you find a tremendously huger capacity for gentleness and kindness and, yeah, patience and self-control. And hopefully that's ever-increasing. That's the idea that we are every day saying, Holy Spirit, fill me again today and give me more of that so that the quality of life I experience is so much better. It should be in a way, too, that we should have friendships as Christians that are unlike any other. Uh, And the communities that we meet in, if you were to invite someone to come to your community, I would hope they would have a tremendously contrasting experience from friendships and community they're used to to the friendship and community that you have because of Jesus. You know, we have such much more significant things to talk about and do together because of all of this reality. Uh, Hopefully, we don't continue to use our conversations and friendships and community as the world does in kind of low-level talk and low-level relationship. We have the potential in Jesus to have some pretty deep, caring relationships for one another. I know if you talk to Jonathan Simcoe and and Colsey about what they went through a couple of years ago when they lost a newborn son, Uh, they were a part of a community, and that community became this rich, deep family that wept with them and that created meals for them, and that cared with them, and that cried with them going through that experience. That's a quality of life that apart from Jesus isn't attainable. And then the other thing that I will mention too is really just all of creation. Uh, All of creation, God is always improving. He's redeeming everything. Uh, He says that he would do that. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture with you. Um, Go ahead, Jeremy. This next slide says new creation. Let's just keep going because this explains what I mean by all of creation. Paul writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Let me preface this. So he's speaking of the suffering, meaning all this redemption that I'm talking about in the new story, that's begun, but we only get to experience it partially, right? Not completely, by any means. Uh, I hope partially is increasing for us as we continue to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that that's increasing. But for none of us will it be a complete experience at all. It's only a taste. And so there's this mix right now in our lives of joy, like Tony said, but also suffering and pain as well. So that's what Paul is saying. For I consider that suffering, that we're still not free in this present time, not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed later when all of sin is gone and when all of death is gone the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons or the children of God. For the creation, the earth, animals, science, and all of it, was subjected to futility, to the second law of thermodynamics, to things decaying and dying, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that is God. In hope that the creation itself, everything will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So in some sense, in this mystery, it's not just humans that are set free and recreated through Jesus Christ, but it will be all of creation. And there will be this new heaven and this new earth. When, and here's something that I love and that's a struggle. God has put this hope inside of us. You, I said this last week, you all know what things could look like. You all imagine what it would have been like to have the perfect mother or the perfect father. You all know what it would mean to be the perfect spouse. Uh, you all have a sense of what a fully lived life with no brokenness could be. We know this because we always complain about it when it's not that way. <laughs> and we complain a lot, so apparently it's like that a lot. So yeah, that that, th- that thing is coming, but... Um, There will be a time when the life you imagine is actually in front of you, in front of us. And it will be more than you would have asked for or could have imagined. So the Bible describes new kingdom, new heavens, and new earth as more than you could imagine. You just won't be able to complain. There will be nothing you could complain about. And if you started to, we would all just look at you and go, really? (laughs) Really? No, we wouldn't even do that because that's, re- that's not redeemed either. Let's go on. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, this is what I've been talking about. We have been let in on new creation already. We are already beginning to experience eternal life. We get to taste it and step into it ahead of time. We are the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as children the redemption of our bodies. So he's making reference to the fact that our spirits and souls are already redeemed, but our bodies are not. For in this we hope, and in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, hope is something futuristic. For who hopes for what they see? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. So there's Paul's description of life today. We have had a taste of what it means to be reconnected to God. We can taste what it means to be reconnected to human beings if we choose daily to step into that, but it's in front of us and it's possible. And we will taste the fullness of all of this when Jesus returns. But now we live in the space in between where it's here, but it's not complete. What do we do in that space? Let me just refer back to the last passage we looked at. The primary occupation of children of God is the reconciliation of other people. So what God has called us to is that we receive Jesus and new creation starts happening in our life. And I become that more patient, more kind, more loving, more hopeful, maybe even more uh, daredevil in Christ. That would be me. I was way less of a daredevil than when I was a little kid, super shy. God's given me courage, to a degree, not like Jeff. I mean, Jeff's got super courage. I have minimal courage. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. So Dan isn't here, and you have replaced him. Appreciate that. But we're in this time in between. But So what do we do with that time? Do we complain about the fact that it's not yet perfected, and when is that going to come? No, we invite people who haven't come to where we are, who don't know there's a creator, who don't know there's a new creation, who don't know that there's a new heaven and a new earth, who don't know that there's a way to be reconciled to God and to each other. That's the primary occupation of human beings in Jesus Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. And it's a lifelong job. It certainly doesn't happen every day. So let's put it all together with that next slide. The story of God and people is this. Creation was God's design and production of a home full of life, with a human family and a partnership with him as creator and sovereign. Corruption entered the story, brought us toil, struggle, pain, death, strife, broken relationships, and a sense of aloneness when it comes to God, loneliness. Jesus has come as the ultimate redeemer, and he's begun to repair what corruption has been corrupting. So he reinstates or reconnects relationships to God, people to one another, He reinstitutes at least a taste of a fuller life. He said, I have come that you might have life. And he is redeeming creation. And then futuristically, we look forward to the ultimate new creation when we again have a perfect home, a city, a new city called Jerusalem. We again have full life and we again are all connected as the family of God and there truly is world peace. This is the story that we are in. I want you to uh, work this through a little bit with me from the last couple minutes that we have and just ask those four questions again in regard to the story we just shared. Who is God in this story? And this is just repetition, so don't work to be too creative. (laughs) Who is God? The creator, the one who made it all happen. And let me say, let's make sure that we stay free. The scripture don't tell us how exactly he created. Genesis is very poetic and very huge. And for some reason, as Christians, we've chosen to get into arguments around the how when the how is not the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture is the who. Romans 1 says that humans who do not recognize God as creator are the ones with the problem, not whether they believe seven days or evolution. That's not the story we need to tell. That's not the conversation we need to have. The conversation we need to have is who God is creator. What else is he in this story? The Redeemer, right? Through Jesus Christ, he is the Redeemer. He's also the sovereign. He's the one who designed the way creation works. And so as the designer, he's the one we want to talk to. You know, if you're ever struggling with, with something, if you could have the person who invented it come show you what's going on, that'd be your best answer. And that's who God is. He's the one who says, I I built it. I can help you with it. So he's sovereign. He's redeemer. Anything else in there that we've heard? Yeah, right? It's not just a story that he, like a clock winds up and then puts out there and lets it play out. But he's continually related to the story. He intervenes in the story. Prayer is the way that we ask him to intervene in the story. So he participates in the story. That's an awesome point. I hadn't thought of that. He's a participant with us. Yep. So who are we specifically as the family that have said yes to the story? Who are we? Children of God. Like father, like daughter. Like father, like son. Right? So we share in the work. We are partners with him. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know how the business works, but I have called you friends because I've explained the business to you. He said that to the 12 disciples. You understand enough of the business to run it, even though God's still, still a partner. Who else are we? Yeah, we get to take the gifts of new creation life and the ministry of reconciliation to people, right? Right? Gosh, that's really good news. So what do we do? Among all the other things we get to do, what's what's paramount for us to do? Yeah, to to have that a priority, never really leaving our minds. Is there an opportunity in this day to push the story of reconciliation forward? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and what is it? Who will I see when I leave the theater today? How will I spend the rest of this day? Yeah. What's my opportunity to push the story forward? What else are we to do? Yeah. That is the characteristic that undergirds the whole story. Yeah, absolutely. Lead, yeah. Yeah, believers ought to be the best leaders in humanity uh, because we know where the story is going. So we're the ones familiar with the trail and should be the ones who can say, what do I do now? So when people are lost or wandering around or unsure of where to go or what life means or why they exist, we actually have the answers. They're simple and the truth is bigger than the answer we have, but we have enough of an answer to live in the right direction, right? Yeah. So, in conclusion, let's see how we did. Can you back up one more? I think we skipped well, There we go. Here's some things I threw out. Who is God's Savior and King? What has he done? Redeemed all of creation and set up the kingdom. Who are we? We are the redeemed humans and citizens of the kingdom. Just another way to explain everything I said. What are we to do? To give others a taste of the kingdom and invite them in. And that's, that's where I want to end is with that idea of giving others a taste of the kingdom and inviting them in. God has enabled you and I to be pretty awesome <laughs> and to be people who as we move about in the day and the week and the month and the year of life um have it together to a degree. We have hope, we have a purpose. We are not going to be lost forever. So there ought to be a level of security and peace about us that's unique. And there ought to be a level of knowing what to do in just about any situation. What is the loving thing to do? What is the reconciling thing to do? You know, we, should, we know that stuff. And so we get to be little tastes of kingdom and of Jesus. And then we get to partner. We don't have to do that by ourselves, but we can do that with coworkers who know Jesus, fellow students at your school who know Jesus, uh, fellow neighbors in your neighborhood who know Jesus. We get to partner as groups. So theoretically, when people step into a conversation with me and my Christian neighbor, there ought to be a taste there of like, wow, those guys are fun. Those guys are interesting. Those guys have conversations I've never heard of before, but I want to be a part of them. We are a taste of all of these things. So again, this is where we live in this final slide. The story of God and people. We started here, my first message I brought to you guys back in August was around John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Both of these are happening right now. The thief is still active. He is here to steal The truth, to steal love, to steal hope, and kill human beings and destroy life. And he's still working at that. But he lost at the cross. That's where the battle that changed everything happened. And now the tide, the momentum is going the other way, and it will not stop until Jesus returns. So the momentum is now in this direction. I came that you all may have life and have it abundantly. That's, that's where we are at. And so we ought to choose to experience the momentum of Jesus who is winning the battle for life and for new creation and recreation. You agree with that? Yeah. And we're not, we haven't mastered it yet, right? Like to be reminded of it is good. But I want to call us, and this is, this is what I'm working at as, as one of the leaders at this church, is to help us walk more fully in this story. So in 2018, I'm praying for you and for me, and I'm asking questions about how do we do that? What does it look like for us to get really good at this story? I want you to be good at your job, and I want you to be good at parenting, and I want you to be good at enjoying life. But more than anything, I want you to be good at living in the fullness of this story. And actually, if you do that well, all those other things will work out better. Uh, But this is the story we're called to and that we live into. So as we come to the tables to worship again, let's worship God out of just a, a sense of, wow, God, thank you for recreating me, for recreating the relationships around me. Thank you, Jesus, ultimately for dying because you turned the story around. That's, that's what opened up all these possibilities. And that's why we remember Jesus every week. So take that bread which symbolizes his body and dip it in the juice that symbolizes his blood and just thank him again, remember He fought the battle. He won the battle. And because of it, we are new creations in Christ.